This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to the show. It was during a performance in Newark that George Burns met a fellow performer, Gracie Allen, who would become his lifelong partner. As the team toured in vaudeville, Burns found himself falling in love with Allen, who was engaged to another performer at the time. After several attempts to win her over, he finally succeeded by accident after making her cry at a Christmas party. She told him, You're the only boy who ever made me cry, and I decided if you could make me cry, I must really love you. They developed an act in which Burns delivered the jokes, but after realizing his partner's comedic gifts, he rewrote the material to become the straight man to Alan's flighty, silly character. The pair was well-known on the vaudeville circuit by the time they married in 1926. And with the changing entertainment landscaping, pushing stars like Al Jolson, Milton Berle, and Fanny Bryce away from vaudeville, Burns and Allen moved to radio in 1929, landing a regular show that ran from 1932 to 1950. Their show boasted an audience of 40 million listeners by the late 1930s, their star power translating to opportunities to bring their talents to the big screen. I found this little bit of bump kind of interesting. Did you know that occasionally Burns and Allen departed from their usual format? Well, in 1940, for instance, Gracie decided to run for president as the candidate of the Surprise Party. She declared her political philosophy to be the avoidance of overconfidence. She said, I realize that the president of today is merely the postage stamp of tomorrow. So let's go back to 1948 and hear the episode where George is preparing his income tax and Gracie is more than a little confused about the whole process. Another cup of Maxwell House coffee, George? Sure, pour me a cup, Gracie. You know, Maxwell House is always good to the last <laughs> drop. And that drop's good, too. Yes, it's Maxwell House coffee time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. With yours truly, Toby Reed, Hans Conried, Gail Gordon, Elliot Lewis, Meredith Wilson and the Maxwell House Orchestra, and Bill Goodwin. For America's Thursday night comedy enjoyment, it's George and Gracie. And for America's everyday coffee-drinking enjoyment, it's Maxwell House. Today, more Americans buy and enjoy Maxwell House than any other brand of coffee at any price. Yes, Maxwell House, always good to the last drop. Well, George Burns is one of the millions of taxpayers who has until midnight tonight to file an income tax return, which explains the tense situation as we look in at the Burns home. 
Now, let's see. Figuring our income on the basis of the community property law, that would make... What law, George? The community property law. That's a California law that says half of everything I've got is yours, and half of everything you've got is mine. Oh? Then how come I only get one-fourth of the money we make? Well, that's the way it works out, dear. Look, I'll show you. Here in my hand is a dollar and change. Yeah. Now, half of everything I've got is yours. So here's 50 cents. Ah, thank you. Now, half of everything you've got is mine. How much have you got? 50 cents. Half of it is mine. Hand it over. (laughs) There. See how it works? I see who it works. (laughs) Now, let's try that again. And this time, I'll start with the dollar. Okay. Now. Half of everything I've got is yours. So here's 50 cents. Thank you. And uh, how does the second part go? Half of everything you've got is mine. How much have you got? 50 cents. Half of it is mine. Hand it over. (laughs) Thanks. Well, you were right, George. It comes out the same way no matter how you do it. (laughs) Well, sure. Oh, I'll bet you get tired of me being so stupid, huh? Now, sometimes it comes in real handy. (laughs) Now, let me figure some of the income tax deductions. Let's see, business expense. Now, what does that mean? Well, whenever we have a guest star on our program, we always take him to dinner. That's a business expense. Let's see, now, we took Cary Grant to dinner. But he paid the check, remember? Oh, yeah, that's right, he did. Well, we took Bing Crosby to dinner. He paid the check, remember? Yeah, that's right. Well, last week, we took Jack Benny to dinner. That's one for us. Now we come to dependence. Total dependence and partial dependence. Gracie, what do I usually call your mother? Surely you're not going to put that in writing. (laughs) Uh, I don't mean that. Does your mother live on just the money we send her? Oh, she does right now. You see, my brother Willie got a job as a soda jerk, but he had to quit. Why? Well, a customer told him to squeeze a glass of orange juice. Well? And he squeezed the glass so hard it... Broken, cut his hand. <laughs> he's, uh, he's some soda jerk. In fact, you can leave off the soda. <laughs> now, let me finish this tax return. Uh, come in. Hi, Burns. Hello, Bill. Hey, what are you doing, George? Uh, trying to figure out my income tax. And I'm helping him. Some help. If it weren't for Gracie, I could figure my income tax out much easier. If it weren't for Gracie, you wouldn't have any to figure. <laughs> Listen, Bill, uh, you know, I used to do all right. When I first met Gracie, I worked alone. So she told me, George. Did you ever pay the loan back? <laughs> you better run along, Bobby Clark. I'm very busy. <laughs> Listen, George, why don't you hire an income tax expert to do that for you? The guy I've got knows all the deductions an actor can make. He's wonderful. Really? Sure. Takes off your entertainment, your publicity, your transportation, even takes off your clothes. George can undress himself. <laughs> I doubt it, Grace. Look, I'll prove it. I that. <laughs> and you know something else, George? If an actor hires a secretary to answer his fan mail, that's deductible. Well, I keep a secretary running all the time. You do? Yeah. One of these days, I'm going to catch her. <laughs> In other words, uh, you don't get enough fan mail to answer. What? I get baskets of fan mail. Well, some of it even comes with just my initials on it. W-H-G. 
William Horace Goodwin. Oh, no. Woman's heavenly gift. Really a shy little boy. Yeah, well, he's got a point, George. Yes. I think Bill is one of the handsomest actors in Hollywood. Me? Well, sure, and I know someone who thinks you're even better than that. Me? That's the one. <laughs> I'll see you later. Goodbye, Bobby. I'll never get this tax return finished. It's so darn complicated. Oh, look, George. Here comes Mr. Judson, the Texas oil man. Oh, fine. Now I'll have to stop and listen to him brag about Texas. Come in. Howdy, little lady. Hello, Mr. Judson. Howdy, little man. Hi. Say, you sound kind of depressed. I am depressed. Right at this moment, I hate taxes. Why, you miserable little Yankee. Oh, Mr. Judson, put down that gun. He said taxes, not taxes. Oh, oh. For a minute there, I thought you had spoke treason. But, but now, you hadn't ought to hate taxes, neither. I don't, Mr. Judson. It's just making out the return I hate. I'm glad to send my money to the government. Me, too. It's a privilege to send your money to a city that's named after that great Texan, George Washington. <laughs> Uh, what makes you think George Washington was from Texas? Well, wasn't he the father of our country? Yeah. Wasn't he first in war and first in peace? Yes. Wasn't he the greatest man we ever had? Yes. Bound to be from Texas. <laughs> yes, he took his little hatchet and chopped down the cactus tree. Little George. Uh, Mr. Judson, I'll bet your income tax must be plenty with all your money. All what money? I only got 29 million. Oh, I, I thought it was 28 million. Yeah, well, now, my wife ran into a mite of trouble down home. Had a little trouble? Yeah, yeah, she did. The other night, she was milking the cow, missed the bucket, a big stream of milk squirted into the ground, and up come another derned all well. <laughs> Call that trouble? Why, it got oil all over old Bossy. <laughs> Bossy, you have the cutest name for your wife. <laughs> the cutest. <laughs> oh, I like your sense of humor, man. Income tax return, George? No, I ran out of ink. So I called the drugstore, and uh, they're going to send over a bottle. Good. By the way, that uh, that ink bottle was full last week. Where did it go? Well, uh, you know the blue socks I gave you for Christmas? Yeah. And your tan shoes didn't match them? Yeah. Now they match. <laughs> Gracie, you didn't. Yes, I did. I was a fool to think you didn't. <clears throat> go call the drugstore and tell them to hurry with the ink. Yes, dear. Why do I always leave this income tax till the last minute? Uh, come in. Mr. Byrne? Yes? I'm the delivery man from the drugstore. Good, good. I've been waiting for that ink. I just started today. In fact, you're my first delivery. Well, that's nice. <laughs> I'm so happy with this job. <laughs> 
You know why I'm happy with this job? It gives me a chance to help humanity. I deliver things that people need. I need ink. Now, take this bottle of liver pills. I figure that's going to help somebody's liver. Nice figuring. I'm so happy with this job. I'm happy that you're happy. Have you got my ink? You bet I have. I deliver things that people need. Now, take these corn plasters. Likely as not, they'll help somebody's corns. Again, you figured it out. I'm so happy with that. Nothing in the whole world as wonderful as working for a drugstore. What business are you in, mister? I'm on the radio. Go to work for a drugstore before it's too late. I'll speak to Mr. Owl in the morning. Drugstores have things that people need. Now take your bottle of ink. I'd love to. Just think of its possibilities. You could write a famous play or an immortal poem. I could if I had the ink. Maybe. Maybe you'll write a cheery note to one who is ill. Maybe. Or a love letter to a beautiful woman. I happen to be married. Oh. <laughs> then if you wrote a love letter to another woman, that would cause trouble. You bet it would. Your wife might find the letter in your pocket. And when she read it, she'd get mad and leave you. Look, man. And all because the drugstore made me deliver this ink. Look, well, they can't force me to come between a man and his wife. I won't do it. I'll quit this lousy job. All right, but give me the ink. And break up your home never. There. Your home is saved. Well, that's fine. Now, these shoes match my blue socks, too. <laughs> also, the rug and the walls. Hey, George, I thought I... Oh, oh, my goodness. There's things splashed all over the place. Had a little accident. Oh, there are even a couple of ugly blue spots on your face. Here, I'll wipe them off. Take it easy. Those are my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> oh. How I get Take this income tax stuff down to the expert in the TAF building and let him figure it out. And here's 50 bucks to pay him. I'll go get a mop and clean up this mess. Well, $50 just to make out income tax? Oh, that's ridiculous. I can buy one of those dollar tax books and do it myself. That'll save George $49. And think what he could buy with $49. Hat, gloves, shoes, coat... Why, he can buy me lots of things. <laughs> I'll do it. Dr. Miller, I just had to come by. I have some wonderful news for you. What is it, Gracie? Well, you know those treatments you've been giving me where I lie on the couch and tell you all about myself? Psychoanalysis, yes. I treated your mind. Well, you certainly helped me. How could I miss? Any change was bound to be an improvement. <laughs> oh, you, you'll be proud of me. I, I just did a brilliant thing. I figured out George's income tax. Well, you are cured. No more of those long hours on the couch. And guess how the income tax came out. The government owes George $30 million. <laughs> 
I'll arrange the pillows on the couch. Oh, no, I'm not tired. Gracie, how did you arrive at that terrific figure? Oh, uh, no starches and lots of exercise. <laughs> I mean, George's income tax figure. Oh, well, I, I bought a book on income tax and found out all the deductions. Now, for example, the book said that an actor can deduct up to $500 for dues. Yes. Well, in California, we have dues every morning. <laughs> Gracie. And at $500 a due, that adds up. Gracie, these dues are not the liquid kind. Oh, no? I've stood knee-deep in California dues. <laughs> well, even with deductions like that, how could you possibly arrive at $30 million? Oh, well, of course, the big item was entertainment. The book says if an actor entertains people in the course of his business, that's deductible. And at the rate of $2 per person. Well? Well, every time George goes on the radio, he entertains 20 million people. <laughs> this is unbelievable. Well, now, that, that's $40 million right there. But I know the government needs money, so I knocked off $10 million. <laughs> well, it's awfully nice out here. Yeah, live and let live. <laughs> $30 million is plenty. Do you realize what this will mean to George, Doctor? Yes, I think I do, Gracie. Speaking as a psychiatrist, I would say that George will develop a pronounced isolation complex induced by extended incarceration and complicated by severe claustrophobia due to prolonged inability to alter his environment. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? They'll throw him in the clink. <laughs> They'll put him in Alcatraz. You falsified his tax form. Yeah. Oh, oh, this is terrible. But he's not to blame. Let them send me away to wherever they send women. To Hatchapi. Because not that. Thank you. It's George's return. Therefore, they'll hold George responsible. Well, how long will they keep George in Alcatraz? Well, it's hard to say, Gracie. I know a man who defrauded the government of only $20, and he was sent away for 20 years. 20 years for $20? No. And in George's case, it's, it's $30 million. Boy, will he be old when he gets out. Here's Meredith Wilson on the orchestra and Stanley Steamer.
Stacy. I, I came as soon as I got your call. What's the trouble? Oh, Bill, it's terrible. I falsified George's form. What's so bad about that? You've been patting his shoulders for years. Oh, no, no, no. It's his income tax form. And they're going to send him to Alcatraz. Oh. Think what Alcatraz will do to George. Think of him with his face all pale and his little shoulder stoop shuffling along with that hopeless, dead expression. Yeah. And then think of him after a few years in Alcatraz. Yeah. Well... George can escape. Oh, I doubt it, Gracie. It's an island in the Pacific. On on one side is an ocean full of sharks. And what's on the other side? San Francisco. Yes, San Francisco. That's where my mother lives. Say, that's right. Well, if George ever escapes, I know which way he'll swim. Oh, me too. I hope the sharks don't get him. (laughs) I hope he never tries to escape, Gracie. They've got a terrible punishment for prisoners who do that. Yeah, what is it? They take away their Maxwell House coffee. Oh! (laughs) Rich, delicious, mellow Maxwell House, so wonderfully satisfying, good to the last drop. You know what happens then, Gracie? They go stir-crazy. Stir-crazy? Yeah. They go crazy because they can't stir that Maxwell House coffee. (laughs) Ooh! Very best in coffee drinking pleasure, yet it costs but a fraction of a penny more per cup than the cheapest coffee you can buy. Oh, I'm sure George will behave himself, Bill. You know, they might even let George sing to the prisoners. No, Gracie. Taking away their Maxwell House coffee is the worst punishment they allow. <laughs> That's fiendish enough. You know, with more than a thousand brands to choose from, more people buy and enjoy Maxwell House than any other brand of coffee in the world? Well, maybe it's not too late to save George. I'll appeal to the governor. Oh, that won't do any good. Oh, then I'll appeal to his wife, the governor. <laughs> Gracie, nothing can save George from Alcatraz. Oh, dear. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll soften the blow for him. I'll make it sound attractive. Attractive? Well, sure. It'll be like a daytime radio serial. Alcatraz can be beautiful. Gracie, it's an island, a prison with bars, a a big, ugly rock. How can you say that's beautiful? Love will show me the way. When you're in love, you can imagine the ugliest thing in the world is beautiful. And I'm in love with George. (laughs) Good luck, Gracie. Yes, dear? George, how would you like to live on an island? An island? Yes, in the blue Pacific. Might be nice. An island with palm trees. Yes. And sandbars. Take away the sand and you've got it. (laughs) Oh, it's a beautiful place. Once you're there, you just can't leave. (laughs) Holds you in its spell, huh? Did you say spell or sell? Spell. Oh, sure. I love the ocean. Would be nice to lie there and listen to the breakers pounding on the rocks. Yes, making little ones out of big ones. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you love this island, dear. The change will do you good. Now, for instance, don't you get tired of people always calling you George. I never thought of it. Well, now, on this island, they call you something else. Like what? Like 7293. (laughs) 
7293? Yes, and your closest friends could call you Seven. <laughs> seven G. Burns, eh? <laughs> Gracie, this island is beginning to sound a little wild. Besides, I like the modern conveniences. Does this island have electric lights, electric stoves, electric refrigerators? Even the chairs are wired. <laughs> Chairs the wired? Where is this place? I Hello, never... all. Gee, Bill Goodman just told me the terrible news. He said that George is you going... No, Meredith, don't say it in front of George. Very well. He said that George is going to the P.E.N. <laughs> P.E.N.? Because he defrauded the government on his income, T.A.X. <laughs> I'm going to the pen because of my income tax? Darn it, he caught on despite my precautions. <laughs> Gracie. Uh, wouldn't you like to live on an stop island that. here? How could I how could I get into trouble on my income tax? It was made out by an expert. Oh, thanks, but I don't deserve the compliment. You made it out? Mm-hmm. Holy smoke, I'll go to jail for the rest of my life. Well, cheer up, George. I know a chap who was sent to prison for a crime more serious than yours, and he was only there for two weeks. Really? Yes. Then they hung him. (laughs) Nice of you to cheer me up. Oh, not at all. Another cheering thought is that Gracie might enable you to escape by sending you a cake with a file in it. No, no, that wouldn't help much, Meredith. You see, George is going to Alcatraz and it's surrounded by water. Oh. Well, he might send a somewhat larger cake with a canoe in it. (laughs) Look, Meredith, will you please tell me... Uh, Come in. Is Mr. George Burns here? That's me. I'm from the income tax department. Oh. Oh, goodbye, Seven. <laughs> Listen, mister, I can explain everything. You see, my wife is... Now, the one... there's nothing to explain, Mr. Burns. I just came over to thank you. Thank me? Sure. Imagine a big star like you taking the time and trouble to write a comedy tax return just to hand us fellows a laugh. Huh? <laughs> What a gag that was about the California dues. <laughs> Did you like that one? Oh, <laughs> uh, you're a real comedian, Mr. Burns. How do you think of that stuff? Oh, it's just a gift. <laughs> well, the fellows wanted me to bring over this box of cigars as a token of our appreciation. Thanks again, and goodbye. Goodbye. Well, I'll be done. Hand over those cigars. Huh? They're mine, and I'll smoke them if it kills me. George and Gracie will return in just a moment. There's a crisis here in America, perhaps in your own community, that threatens your children's future. Our educational system is becoming increasingly inadequate. Classrooms are overcrowded, schools are understaffed. Every parent, every American should help. How? By realizing the tremendously important job our teachers perform by giving them your understanding and your support, by knowing personally your children's teachers, by joining local groups seeking to improve educational facilities, and above all, by making sure your community has the kind of school system every American youngster needs and should have. And now, here are our stars. Well, Gracie, I've got good news for you. 
Next week, our guest will be Walter O'Keefe. Walter O'Keefe? Oh, he's my favorite comedian. Your favorite comedian? Mm-hmm. Aren't you forgetting me? Oh, oh, that's right, I am. Sure. He's your favorite, too. Yeah, that's what I meant. Good night, everybody. Good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's number one preferred brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. George and Gracie will be guests on Bing Crosby's Philco Show next week. Be sure to listen. The George Burns and Gracie Allen Show is written by Keith Fowler and Paul Henning. And now stay tuned in for Noah Webster Says, which follows immediately over most of these stations. Stay tuned for The Lone Ranger next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. The year is 1944, and the Lone Ranger and Tonto are on the trail of more bad guys. The episode is called The Lone Ranger and Sam Bass. Indian companion Tonto, the masked rider of the plains, led the fight for law and order in the early western United States. The stories of his strength and courage, his daring and resourcefulness have come down to us through the generations. And nowhere in the pages of history can one find a greater champion of justice. Return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. From out of the past and the thundering hoofbeats of the great horse Silver, the Lone Ranger rides again. Come on, Silver! Very big fellow! And Silver! Boy! 
happened one afternoon in the summer of 1870. No one on the main street of a sleepy little Indiana town noticed anything unusual about the five horsemen who pulled their mounts to a halt at the hitch rack in front of the bank. Oh. You wait here, Cal. Keep your eyes peeled. When we come out, we're going to come running. Sure, Murphy, I know. All right, boys. Certainly no one suspected a bank robbery. Least of all, the sheriff who dozed under a wooden awning nearly a block away. Or the young housewife who chose that particular moment to cross the street. They were as surprised as anyone else when the afternoon's calm was suddenly split by the roar of six guns. Take this. Yeah. Hit the leather, boys. Let's line out of here. I'll sling enough lead to cover you. house at the edge of town, a doctor worked all night trying to save a life that hung in the balance. It was almost daybreak when he walked out onto the porch where an anxious man stared into space. Doc, is, is that you? Yes, Sam. Molly, is she, is she going to be... No, she isn't. You wouldn't look at me that way. Well, it's having to say things like this that are Doctor hates the most. And she... You mean Molly's gone? I was going to call you, Sam. One minute she was asleep and the next... It's all right, Doug. She wouldn't have known I was there anyway. I think you know I did everything humanly possible to save her. Sure. You see, she was caught in the crossfire. Bullets from both the outlaws and the sheriff's guns. I understand that. Why did it have to be Molly? Lots of other people were on the street, too. They didn't get hit. There's no accounting for that, Sam. My Molly. Go on. I feel like bawling, but I can't. I know, Sam. Killed by two kinds of bullets. The laws and the outlaws. Sheriff said he was pretty sure that it was Jim Murphy's gang. He was out with a posse now trailing them. Yeah. Jim Murphy... It's a name I'm not likely to forget. Any more than I'll forget law dogs and their itchy trigger fingers. You are bitter, Sam. I don't blame you. I wish there was something I could do to save. Look. Look, Doc. Over there to the east. You can see the tip of it back of those hills. You mean the sunrise? It's a lot more than that. At least it is to me. And uh, Molly used to feel the same way about it. I always figured that every sunrise is just like a promise. The way it pushes back gray and purple, changes them into red and gold. It's a promise that everything's new. No matter what happened last night, we all have another chance today. You're right, Sam. 
Never heard it expressed exactly that so way. So I'm taking your chance, Doc. And I'm matching it with a promise to myself. What do you mean? Just... Just as soon as everything's settled. I... Mean about Molly. I'm leaving this town for good. Leaving? Why, Sam. What about Johnny, your little boy? Johnny's too young to know what's happened. And... Molly's sister can raise him better than I could. But you... Because I'm... Going to be busy keeping that promise. Someday the sun's going to rise and find that I've evened a three-cornered score. I don't understand. Between me... The law... And an outlaw. That man's name was Sam Bass. True to his promise, he left Indiana a few days later and never returned. Several years passed, during which a young boy grew into manhood. Hey, boys! Look who just walked in. It's Charlie Tanner. Hey, hi, boy! Hi! <laughs> Shut him up, bartender. The drinks are on me. Where, where you been, Charlie? Ain't seen you in almost a year. Guess you gents heard about the gold strike out in the Black Hills? Yeah. That's where I've been. Deadwood. Yeah? Well, from the size of that poke you're carrying, you must have made a strike. I did all right. Say, Charlie, is there really as much gold out there as they say there is? Plenty of gold, no doubt about that. And if you're lucky, you can stake a claim. The tough part is getting out of there with it. Uh, what do you mean? Owl hoots, road agents, the hills are infested with them. The stage from Deadwood to Cheyenne is held up almost every trip. Well, what's the matter? Ain't there any law out in that country? Sure, but they can't be every place at once. And some of those outlaw hombies are tough. One of the worst gangs is... Say... What's wrong? Just happened to remember. The gent who's robbing the worst bunch of all used to live right in this town. Yes, sir, that's right. Who do you mean? A critter named Sam Bass. So Sam ended up on the owl hoot, huh? Sure. He and another army named Joe Collins are the toughest... Hey, Charlie, wait a minute. Not so loud. Why? What do you mean, Johnny Bass? Sam's kid is standing right over there. Yeah, he heard you. Here he comes. Hello, Tanner. Don't believe I know you, kid. You don't know my dad either. Well, you'd better stop talking about him. Yeah? Who's he? Sam Bass. If I were you, kid, I'd keep my mouth shut about being related to an outlaw. That's a lie. Listen, I've seen him. Nobody can tell me that Bass ain't I'm an outlaw. I'm telling you. But I don't think words are enough. Oh, I'll try this. Oh, no. Why, you dirty little... He's building a gun. Up the floor, boys. Med's gonna fly. Fill your hand, kid, cause I'm gonna no, make you... No, You not shoot him. Young fella not have gun. Who's the redskin? I don't know. Never saw him before. Out of my way, engine. I'll shoot you him. You shoot him, and me shoot you. Now, listen, redskin, I know you're trying to help me, but there's no need of you getting... Hunter not like see unfair fight. What's the matter with all you gents? Are we going to let one redskin hold the drop on all of us? Duck, Charlie, I'll gun the crowd. That's it. Burn them down. The lights. Who shot out the lights? Was it you that did that? Uh, Mick, you stay with me. We get out fast. Here they go. The redskin and Johnny are sneaking out the side door. Come, me have horse. But I haven't got a bronc. Now carry them. Quick, up you come. There. Over by the hitch rail, you see him? In a month's count. 
lost him, all right. Uh, uh, I sure thank you for helping me out of that spot. If I'd have known Tanner was packing a gun, I never would have swung on him. But he made me so mad when he... I heard you right up, Toto. You seem to be in a hurry. Hey, what the... Mast! Ah, uh, big fella in cafe tried to shoot him. Me stop him. Good. You must be the engine's part. Yes, that's right. This is a funny one. Why? I got into a fight because a loud-mouthed hombre said my dad's an outlaw. Next thing I know, I'm tied up with a couple of them. Otto and I aren't outlaws. What's your name? Johnny. Uh, Johnny Bass. And your father must be Sam Bass. Yeah. Well, how'd you know? I, uh... Seems as though I've heard his name somewhere. Is uh, this town your home? It has been. But my aunt died about a week ago, and after what happened tonight, I think I'll head out. Which way, Johnny? Well, I... Well, I don't know. Maybe south. I hear that Texas is a good uh, place. Tell, uh, tell me something, Johnny. How long since you've heard from your father? I... Well, well I've never heard from Dad. A direct, I mean. He used to write letters to Aunt Verna all the time when I was growing up and send her money. I see. She said he was doing some kind of special work out west someplace. And from the way she talked, I figured he was working for the government. Maybe. But I know he's not an outlaw. No matter what anybody says. He couldn't be. Yes, Silver. Eddie Toto. Uh, oh, wait a minute. You haven't told me how you happened to... Eddie Big I think your idea about going to Texas is a good one, Johnny. There's great country down there for a young fellow like you. Sure, but all of this doesn't make sense. The Indian helps me out of a fight. Then we ride out here to meet a masked owl hoot that asks a lot of questions. Now don't worry about it. The important thing for you to do, Johnny is keep the idea you were fighting for tonight. Come on, Silver. Get him up. Come It was one night in the late spring of 1877 that six horsemen reined up their mounts near the railroad right-of-way not far from Big Springs, Nebraska. Well, this is it, boys. That westbound train ought to come around the bend any minute now. Yeah, suppose it don't stop, Sam. How are we going to get... <laughs> Listen to Quint. I'd like to see a train try to jump that three-foot log me and Mac threw across the track. It'll stop, all right. The important thing for you all to remember is to keep those masks on. There's no telling who's riding that steam contraption. We can't take any chances. You're right, Sam. Uh, Mac, you swim, Quint and Bill. Keep the engineer and farmer quiet. Be sure to make him draw the fire of that engine. What about me, Sam? You and I'll head for the express car, Jewel. If there's any money aboard, that's where it'll be. Yeah, but... Here she comes now. Let's ride. Right. Get up, get up, get up, get up. Kimasabi, why we... Look, Toto, just beyond the rise. That's the westbound train. Left Big Springs over 30 minutes ago. And there's no reason for it to stop here unless... Listen, that sounds like a holdup. We've got to... Come on, Silver, come on, scout! (laughs) 
As the Lone Ranger and Tonto urged their horses at top speed toward the stalled railroad train, the sound of gunfire increased. You're right. It is a hold-up, Tonto. Ah. We'll head for the... No, wait. Oh, Silver, ho. Oh, 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 oh. Let him pass in his game. I know them horses anywhere. The express car. Get back on it, boy. You hear that? Them say Sam Bass. Yes, Toto, I heard. I didn't expect to find him so soon. What we do? The train guards seem to have the situation pretty well in hand. Unless some of Sam's gang reach the express car before... Let them. Then get away. We trail them? Yes, we'll... Look! Take two more of them! See the white horse in the paint? Build them! Failing outlaws, we'll have to wait till later, Toto. Those guards have our range. Come on, Get them up! Stop! It was many miles to the south and almost daybreak before Sam Bass and his outlaws pulled their tired horses to a halt. We'll uh, hold up here for the day, get some sleep and give the horses a rest. Uh, I can't figure it. We had a tip there wouldn't be a single guard riding that train. The minute it stops, up pops about 40 of them. Look, that's all. In this business, you've got to take it as it comes. Spread out my blankets, will you, Joel? I'll uh, be back in a minute. Where's he going? Same place he always goes this time in the morning. Off by himself to watch the sun come up. Yeah. And if you ask me, that's what's wrong with this outfit. That's why our luck's running out. What kind of a top gun slick is he? Sneaking off to watch the sun. Listen, both of you gunnies can check out any time you want to. I'm sticking with Sam. Well, he wastes time watching the sun come up? No matter what he does. Two weeks later, found the Lone Ranger and Tonto in a well-hidden camp not far from Denton, Texas. I can't understand it, Tonto. That United States Marshal we tipped off in Dallas should have closed in on Sam Bass long before this. Uh, outlaws stay in hideout cabin four days now. They weren't so near the town of Round Rock we could wait. But I'm afraid they'll... Tonto, help me with the disguise. Uh-huh. What you do? If I can't stop Sam Bass any other way, I'll join him. I don't like this country. Too many lawmen sneaking around. Well, they haven't found us so far. Except that one Jasper you and Quint stumbled onto this morning. I guess there's no chance of him talking. <laughs> Not the way we left him. And here's the critter's bench to prove it. Yeah, let me see that thing. Uh, United States Marshal, huh? Me and Quint were lucky to see him before he saw us. The question is... Why was he nosing around here in the first place? Lawmen are always nosing around. No, they ain't. Me and Quint don't think so. What do you mean by that? I mean Sam. Sam Bass is double-crossing us. His years as an outlaw had taught Sam Bass to be cautious. He trusted no one but himself. Yet as he walked slowly along a trail that led to the hideout, he doubted the evidence of his own eyes. Suddenly, a tall, bronze-faced man dressed in nondescript clothes appeared beside him almost by magic. 
What the... Don't reach for your gun, Sam. I have you covered. Where... Where did you come from? I've been waiting here for you. Behind this tree. Lawman? No. When the law catches up with you, Sam, I won't be part of it. Then who are you? How do you know who I am? A lot of people know who you are. And I might be someone pretty handy with a gun who's looking for a job. Oh, gun slick, huh? Why didn't you say so in the first place? How'd you know I was here? Trailed you. Well, I guess you do move mighty quiet. And you handle that coat like you knew how to use it. I do. I uh, might have a place for a gent like you. Good. Me and the boys are figuring on a little bank job near here. Maybe you'd like to cut in. Where is it? little town called Round Rock. Oh, yes, I've uh, been there. The boys have looked it over. They say if we move in late at night, it'll be a cinch. How about the law? You know the sheriff over there? Uh, but that won't make any difference. I do. He's a young fellow. Only had the job a short time. Yeah. His name is uh, Johnny Bass. I don't know. What? You didn't expect that. Did you, Sam? Johnny. My Johnny, a uh, lawman? I can't believe... His aunt died. He came down here. Round Rock needed a sheriff. So he got the job. I don't know what to say. I wonder if Johnny knows... I don't know him very well. But I can tell you this much. He refuses to believe his father's an outlaw. Yeah. You know, I'd give a lot to see that kid. How much? How much? What do you mean? Would you give a few years of your life? A few years? Oh, I see what you mean. Then you are a lawman. No, Sam, I can't arrest you. The only lawman in this territory is a United States Marshal from Dallas. Johnny would never know anything about it unless you wanted him to. Why should I do that? They've got a score to settle with the law and with another owl who'd like myself if I could ever find him. That's up to you. Knowing Johnny, I thought his father would think more of his son's opinion than settling an old score. Yeah. Think it, it over, Sam. Then, if you decide I'm right, meet me here tonight. We'll find the marshal. Maybe. I don't know. I'll be right here, waiting for you. It was several hours later when Sam Bass returned to the outlaw hideout. He was deep in thought and wholly unprepared for the reception that awaited him. Hello, Meg. Queen. Where's Joel? Joel took a trip, Sam. He won't be back. What do you mean? Free, Sam. Yeah. It's a 45 that's nudging you. What the... Now, Sam, if you want to turn around, you'll see the gent that's taken your place with his outfit. Jim Murphy. Murphy? I've waited a long time to meet the back-shooting hombre. Watch out, Jim. He's gonna... No, fall. he ain't. Nothing like a gun barrel alongside his head to cool off an army that wants to fight. Yeah. What'll we do with him? Leave him here. 
Ain't worth wasting a bullet. Now, how far away is this bank job you were telling me about? Round Rock. We can be there inside of an hour. Come on. When he awoke a short time later, Sam Bass didn't know how long he'd been unconscious. He remembered being hit with a gun barrel. And dimly, he seemed to remember something else. A tall masked man and an Indian bending over him, dressing the wound on his head and slipping something into his pocket. But the most important thing he remembered was a shortcut back trail to Round Rock. He lost no time in following it. Hit it, boy. When he reached the town, Sam had no way of knowing that a trap was already set for outlaws that he was following. As he dismounted and moved along the deserted street, he sensed rather than saw them approaching the bank. Murphy, quit, Mac. What the? Look, it's there. Reach for your guns, boys. This is it. Burn them down. Sam knew he was hit because he felt sharp stabs of pain on his left side and shoulder. But he kept on shooting slowly, deliberately, making sure that every bullet found its mark. Finally, when his guns were empty, he was suddenly very tired. He sank to the ground. Hey, Sheriff, who was that? I don't know. We had a trap all set for those owl hoots, but this man stepped in ahead of us. Mighty slick shooting, if you ask me. All three of the varmints are dead. Yeah, he saved us a lot of trouble. Here, help me carry him over near that fence. Yeah. And call a doctor. Doc says there ain't much hope for him, Sheriff. Yeah, I know. Wish I knew his name. Ain't no mystery about that. It's the same as yours. What do you mean? That man's Sam Bass, the outlaw. Sam? Well, that's my father's name. And he's not an outlaw. I don't know anything about that. This gent is... Hello, Johnny. Why, you... You are my dad, aren't you? You should have... Let me know where you were, son... I'd have come around sooner. But I didn't. I mean... It's... It's uh, almost daybreak, isn't it, Johnny? Why, sure, but... Well, uh, you do me a favor. Why, sure. What is it, Dan? Help me sit up. <laughs> Easy. That's it. Hey. Want to see the sunrise just once more? Thanks, Johnny. Dad. Dad. He's gone, Sheriff. He went down fighting. You've got to admire an hombre like that, even if he was an outlaw. You're both crazy. I tell you, this is my father, and he wasn't an outlaw. Wait, I'll bet there's something in his pockets that prove he wasn't. Here. Look at this. Well, what is it? A badge. A United States Marshal's badge. That's the kind of work Dad must Stay have been doing. Sheriff. What's on that piece of paper? That was in his pocket, too. I don't know. It looks like a note of some kind. What's it say? A man's true worth is measured by what he does for someone else. And it's signed, The Lone Ranger. I am silver! Oh! 
Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Suspense, followed by Our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.